0: Hello, I'm Mitchell Kaplan, and I'm very excited to be recording my podcast, The Literary Life, from the Miami Book Fair. This is our 35th anniversary, and we're going to have a very special time together as we'll be talking to some of the most interesting, important, and timely authors writing today. Writers like Tina Brown, Tiare Jones, Doris Kearns Goodwin, and Pete Souza. So join me for this special edition of The Literary Life, recorded at this year's Miami Book Fair. This is Mitchell Kaplan, and you're listening to Literary Life. Uh, Pete Souza is my guest. Pete is appearing at the 35th edition of the Miami Book Fair, and I've just come from one of the more remarkable events that we've ever had at the Book Fair, which is Pete talking about and showing slides from his new book, Shade, A Tale of Two Presidents. Pete, welcome to The Literary Life. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Tell me the origin of this book. Well, the origin
1: of the book is based on my Instagram feed. The difference is, on my Instagram feed, I don't necessarily tell people what I'm uh, responding to. People have gathered that it's uh, a reaction to... A Trump tweet or a story or... The news of the day. News of the day. Um, but I make people uh, work and figure out what what I'm talking about. In the book, I kind of draw a straight line by including the Trump tweet or news headline that inspired my snarky post in, in the first place. Um, and so, it's it's kind of laid out there for you to see... And it's, to me, it's a good documentation of the craziness that his Trump's first 500 days was. We we so much happens every week, every month that um, we we need to remember all the crazy stuff that that this guy does.
0: Well, you know, right at the time of. Uh, uh Trump's inauguration. About a week later, I went to the doctor, and for the first time in my life, I discovered I had high blood pressure. <laughs> and um, clearly, it was from the same kind of shock that you clearly had uh, when he was elected. You gave the most okay. remarkable talk just just before coming to speak to us here, and one of the one of the people who came up to ask a question. Pointed out that you're kind of a, a ray of light in a very dark period, and even though you're giving shade, uh, this is quite a hopeful book as well. Talk a little bit about that too.
1: Yeah, um, I, I, you know, there's there's an MLK quote: "The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice." You know, we're we're gonna get through this time. Um, people. We've had a lot of worse things happen in our country. This feels really bad, it is bad, but it's not the worst thing our country has ever faced, and we're going to get through this and, and be okay. And I didn't want people to forget the manner in which President Obama conducted himself and his administration for eight years. There were no scandals. The way he respected other people, the race, the way he respected the office of the presidency, People can argue policy, and um, he wasn't perfect, but uh, he he was he was a good man who tried to do good good things for all of us, and did it in in a respectful way. Uh, and we're we have none of that right now.
0: And I think that's what clearly comes through. That's what offends you more than anything about it. Does I mean what he's I, done to the office of the president? Yes,
1: I have said in and uh, before that if if Jeb Bush or uh, John McCain or Mitt Romney or John Kasich or anybody else had become president I wouldn't be doing this because all those guys respected uh, other people and I know they would have respected the office of the presidency I may have argued vehemently policy. with some of their policy decisions but I know that they would not have disrespected other people
0: or the office. Well, in fact, you were the White House photographer as well for Ronald Reagan during those years too. You know, and
1: I say the same thing about him that he um, he, he he respected other people and he respected the office. And you can you can say that um, you know maybe his policies didn't fit our fit what you and I think of uh, as the the way things should be done but at least he was a decent human being.
0: Yeah. And you can't say that about Trump. No, and, and I think that's really why I got the high blood pressure. It was because the schoolyard bully had taken over the office yes. of the presidency. Like
1: I knew those kids in 8th grade <laughs> and ninth grade. It's just that
0: And they shouldn't be president. Liked,
1: well, and no, and he never developed a sense of maturation. Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, he still
0: I mean, look, a bully. I mean and you point this out, and some of your photographs, and some of the tweets, and where shade comes from. I mean, just recently, for a president, a president of the United States, not to go to a veterans' it's day crazy. celebration or, or service oh, and is, this is remarkable. After
1: not going to the hundredth anniversary of you know commemorating World War One, that he flies all the way to France and then doesn't go to the American cemetery right. that he's supposed to because it's raining out. Yeah. And he would have had to drive instead of take the helicopter. That's
0: ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, one of the things that was probably one of the movie, most moving parts of your presentation and, and, and one of the images that is so moving, it was the, the frame and then the next frame of President Obama at Walter Reed Hospital with pinning the Purple Heart on a guy that he thought was probably in a coma or something. Explain that one.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was actually in Afghanistan. Uh, he, oh, he, he was, was actually at, in he, yeah, Afghanistan? Yeah, it was at the hospital in oh, Afghanistan. I didn't realize that. And this guy was in the ICU, the intensive care unit, um, and was being awarded the Purple Heart, but was asleep uh, or unconscious. And, um, and as the military aide read the citation, President Obama was pinning the Purple Heart on his shirt. And um, after the citation was read, um, the, the doctor that was uh, there with us said to President Obama it would be okay that if he whispered a few words that he was actually awake a couple hours ago. This is somebody that had just been um hurt so by an IED uh just hours before and was still at the hospital in Afghanistan before being sent to to Walter Reed and as president was whispering to him there's this rustle under the sheets and um the sergeant hay was his name um Still with his eyes closed, but you saw his hand just come up from under the sheets to shake hands with the president. It was just so... something
0: nobody else. And the fact that that happened and you were able to capture it, it's those of us who are just the general population. We don't understand that circumstances like that also affect policy in some way or another, right? I mean, it's got to stay within... President Obama's consciousness of what the effect of all policy actually is.
1: Yeah. And it's it's not um it's not just numbers. It's 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 actual people. It's actual people. And when you make a decision uh to send people into war, um you know that uh there's a chance um that some of them are not gonna live or they'll come back wounded. And it's you know it's it's I think probably the hardest decision for any president to make.
0: It's not a game.
1: It's not a game. It's real life.
0: You don't send soldiers down to the border as a stunt the week before the week before the election. Right,
1: and that's what the current man that occupies the Oval Office does not understand. To him, it's a reality show presidency. That's all it is. It's all about him and ratings and doing things that get him good attention. That's what his presidency is all about, and that's a
0: shame. Well, and I think the intimacy that you showed in the previous book, which was you know, President Obama, an intimate portrait, uh, which I also recommend highly. These books work so well together, and now that Michelle's book is out, all three of them work very well together, I think. Um, yeah, I'll,
1: I'll, I'll happily put my my...
0: <laughs> My books on the same bookshelf as uh,
1: and I think, as her book. so I'm I hoping have, that you, as a as a book bookshop owner, do oh, that the too. the
0: window is already there. <laughs> the window is already there. But I I think that the intimacy of the portrait. I mean, I was uh, you know listening to you, and I was, I was just sort of sad for us that we had to go from that kind of a person to where we are now. But I think you ended it so hopefully that. There is another generation coming up. And I think these midterms, you know, were very hopeful. Is that your feeling as well?
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, the, the initial reports on the midterms were uh, people were sort of lukewarm about the results. I just think it's, you know, we we the Democrats gained close to 40 seats in the House. Um, they, they, they won a big uh, open Republican Senate seat. They, they they took that that seat. They there more than a hundred women were elected to Congress. Um, and state legislatures across the country did well. Um, you know, a uh, progressive guy in Texas all, got more than four million votes and almost won. And um, you know, I don't know about here in Florida. Didn't, we don't go know the we way don't it quite won't. know Right, yet. don't. But it, uh, it 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 does show you that the country still is divided as is the state of Florida. Yeah. And how important it is for everybody to get out and vote. And um you know, we had a 17-year-old kid tonight that attended my talk and was was going to be voting for the first time in in 2020.
0: Give out that hashtag that you had about yeah, 2020. Yeah. Vote him out
1: 2020. Right. You know.
0: November third, I November remember. November
1: second or third, yeah. I can't even remember which one it is.
0: To change the subject a little bit, how does one become a White House photographer?
1: I think there's there's no uh, blueprint for it. There's no here's the five step process. How did it
0: happen with you? Yeah,
1: for me, it was it was a, it was a matter of uh, luck in the sense that when Barack Obama was elected to the Senate in two thousand four. I was working for the Chicago Tribune based in Washington, D.C. And one of the reporters in the bureau and myself um, embarked on a uh, series of articles of his first year in the Senate. And because we were his quote unquote hometown paper, we got access to him that other national outlets didn't. Uh, And when you're photographer and you need access you're in his intimate spaces um you know so as a result he got to see how i worked got to see that i took my job seriously we developed a professional relationship that's all it was at at the time and um but i think as a result of him getting to know me a little bit uh in in that capacity that when he was elected president he asked me to become his photographer.
0: Did you cover any of his book tours when he was, uh, when he was writing at the time when some of his books came out? Yeah Before no I didn't he co- was president
1: Yeah no no I didn't cover his book tour <laughs> at all. Um, it, you know it's possible I maybe went to one event I can't remember um, but I did I, I, I went to five countries with him as senator wow. um, went to Russia, Azerbaijan uh, and Ukraine he went with richard luger the senator from indiana a republican and they were inspecting uh, dismantled nuclear weapons and biological weapons and then on another trip uh, went to uh, kenya and and south africa with him uh, his and his family came on that on the at least on the kenya portion of the trip went to his mother's village i mean his grandmother's village and um, yeah. So, just result of those kinds of experiences with him is how I first got to know him a little bit. The, yeah.
0: Would Would you agree with me that because you know him so intimately and I don't, but there doesn't seem to be any artifice to him? You know, what you see is really who he is. Is that pretty yeah? True? I mean, I think that people. I mean, don't, he's he's got I mean, to put something
1: on. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I I I think that uh, you know people probably don't. Uh, see that that he does have a really good sense of humor i mean they've seen that at times but it, you sort of see that more maybe uh in, in, in behind the scenes and and he's he's very uh competitive as i showed a couple pictures right. that relate to that in in my presentation and you know and he does like anybody he gets you know mad occasionally uh and 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 he he doesn't he doesn't show that publicly that much, um, uh, you know. Even, I, mean, I sort of made the the point too that he had this very even tempered uh,
0: disposition, which, you know, it would just take a lot to rile him up. And he has the opposite of what we have now. He doesn't seem narcissistic at all, <laughs> you know, in that sense. I'm sure his ego is well-developed. Right. I mean, but you have to have an ego to run. To run. Place, just to but, run. But, you know, we had an experience here at the book fair with him. Prior to him running with the second book he came and did an event at the book fair, just as you did. And uh, he was just contemplating whether or not he should run. It was, I think he announced in January, the book fair was in November. And he came and he was pre-signing books. And I was in the room with him for probably about a half an hour, an hour, feeding him books as a bookseller. And he came with with no aid. He came with no, no driver. He just sort of came on his own. And... Uh, no advanced person or anything like that. And all he wanted to do while he was signing the book, he wanted to go have a cigarette and find out where he could watch the Michigan State football game. <laughs> Does that sound like in keeping with who he might be?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although he did uh, quit cold turkey smoking.
0: Yeah, uh, well, at that at, time at he the
1: Yeah, no, I know. He liked to have a cigarette every once in a while. Um, and and he's very much of a sports... Uh, fanatic and I mean the times that I would go uh, well he would work in the residence uh, uh, at night by himself um, every night I mean for four or five hours sometimes he'd be up till two o'clock in the morning reading his briefing books, making calls he read ten letters from ordinary Americans every night and responded to those so he he did his homework every night but oftentimes if I would go upstairs to the residence to photograph him doing something or other uh in in that office in the residence he, he there'd be a game yeah, on of course you know? sometimes the sound wouldn't even be on it'd <laughs> yeah, right? just be you know while he was doing his work he would be glancing up at the right. game
0: well and the upshot of that thing was that we went and there were about three thousand people who showed up for him he was questioning you know whether florida would really go for him and and i remember him uh as he walked off stage and he had a standing ovation he turned and he said, I guess Florida might be in play for me, <laughs> which was great. He it gave us such hope. And, and that's, I think, what you pick up so much in this book. You've, you kind of, we forget that we've moved into a dark period and you bring us out of that dark period. Um, talk about how you came up with the title, Shade. It's a great story.
1: Well, the, what, what I started doing on Instagram led to uh, a, a bunch of stories in newspapers and magazines. And, um, and, and uh, uh, the headlines of these stories were often thing, uh, something like, uh, you know, former Obama photographer throws shade at Trump. And I didn't really know what that meant. Uh, I knew what I was doing. Uh, I knew some people called it trolling, but I didn't know the term throwing shade. And then, um, you know, so I actually looked it up and uh, said to myself, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing, which is sort of like making snarky comments about um, right. other people. Uh, and then I actually wanted to entitle the book Throwing Shade. And my book editor said, "No, everybody knows what what just shade means.
0: Well, you brought it to people's attention more than anyone else, because I didn't know it either, really. I had heard it, but I didn't know it until until you started doing it. We're going to take a break. You're listening to The Literary Life. Let's talk audiobooks. Just like podcasts, everyone's listening to audiobooks. If you haven't taken the plunge, it's about time to give them a try. They're the perfect way I've found to get more books into my increasingly busy life. I can listen to them anytime, during my commute, walking around the house, or just working out. Even when I walk my dogs, the wonderful Alonzo and Charlie, or when I'm just sitting in the most comfortable chair I can find. And all I need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Bookstores like ours, Books and Books, they offer more than 100,000 audiobooks, including those from the New York Times bestseller lists, as well as the IndieBound bestseller list. Enjoy your first audiobook for free at Libro.fm when you start a monthly membership and take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. That's Libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O.fm. This is Mitchell Kaplan, and you're listening to Literary Life. Pete, I want to change the subject just a little bit and talk about photojournalism a little if we can. Um, You know, we're very fortunate down here, at least We've been for many, many years. The Miami Herald has always had a really great photojournalism team going to Haiti, going to cover wars in Central and Latin America. Uh, Talk about the importance of photojournalism, uh, if you can. Yeah, I mean, one
1: of the things that's happening in this day and age is uh, newspapers are um, having less and less uh, budgets to keep a good photo staff intact. And um, I, th- I think it's adversely affecting um, news- newspapers all around the country. But there are some that uh, still have their core group of photojournalists um, that are often, often doing um, really good work just in terms of issues of today. I mean, you, you look at the, in the last week, just the, the unbelievable pictures that are coming out of the fires in California. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but also, um, we now have a president who lies about the news constantly and, and oftentimes tries to scare people with the news. Let's take this caravan of people in Central America moving their way through uh, Mexico. Uh, why, Why are they leaving their countries? Because of political violence and poverty and corruption, and they're just seeking a better life for their family. And instead, we have a president who tries to scare people into thinking that, they're going to cross our, our border and m- murder our children, essentially, is what he's saying. Saying there's Middle Easterners, bad Middle Easterners. Right. And photojournalists that are covering that caravan are showing us the people that are actually in the caravan, which is a lot of women and young children. It's not a group that are of people who are wanting to come into our country to... Wreak havoc on our citizens. It's 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 ridiculous. Completely. They're seeking they're seeking asylum because of the conditions in their own country.
0: Well, journalism has never been more important, and photojournalism now is such truth telling. Yeah, Pics, what the cliche: the picture is worth a thousand words. Right. How how did you get started in photography at all? Did you study it in school or? Yeah, well,
1: I actually went to uh, Boston University with the hopes of becoming a sports writer. Uh, so, I was in their, in their communication school, and then, and then in my junior year, I took a photography class. And I think probably the first roll of film I developed and then made a print in the darkroom. And the image magically appeared under those red safe lights in the tray of developer. This is old school days of developing your own black and white film. Uh, you know, it was magic to me, and the I, I knew right away this was something I wanted to do. I didn't know if I could be successful at it. It took me a long time to get to the point where I was any good, um, but it was really the first thing in my life that really spoke to me as this is this is what I want to do.
0: Did you go on with the newspaper pretty quickly? Not or?
1: quickly. No, it took me like five years before I got to the point where. I was any good. Where I, what I uh, got a job at a, a at a newspaper.
0: As a general. Did you work sports or did you general photography? Yeah, no, general photography at two small papers
1: in Kansas, mm-hmm. then at the Chicago Sun Times. Did you know? Did some sports,
0: but it was general assignments. It was news, features, sports. Were there some photographers that influenced you in some particular way, or people you admire? Yeah, no. There's definitely people that I admire. I think early on,
1: I was so ignorant of um, other uh, photographers. I didn't like it was more. I, I didn't really know any because uh, I hadn't really studied it at all. But then over the years, there's definitely people that I you know that I looked up to, including a guy by the name of Yoshi Okamoto who was LBJ's White House photographer. And was really the first White House photographer, official White House photographer, that, that truly documented a president for history. Up until that point, it was very hit or miss. Right. I mean, Kennedy had two military photographers, but they didn't document everything that Kennedy did in terms of like even the official stuff. It was more ceremonial stuff, but they weren't in there in all the sit room meetings and and things like that. So it was very sporadic, uh, the, the the their their coverage of his presidency. And then when Okamoto came in with LBJ, he was the one who was just nonstop, always there, photographing LBJ, at every meeting, every social event. Um, and and I think that anybody that's done my job since then has tried to like live up to
0: that the con- bar that he set. Did that continue with Nixon and and did Nixon have his own
1: uh, Nixon had his own photographer but did not really give his access his photographer good access at all. And you talked is, a
0: little bit about the access you had and
1: My access with President Obama was was incredible. I think it was at the same sort of level as Okamoto. They were completely two different people people I mean, you know, LBJ was a crude individual in a lot of ways, and um, and and some of Okamoto's pictures are just so incredible because they're, you know, it's it's LBJ in bed, uh, you know with his aides there taking notes as he's, dict- you know, that's not the kind of picture that President Obama would allow me to be there for. I mean, there wouldn't be any aid in his bedroom right. when he's in bed. Or on the toilet. Or right. on the toilet. Uh, but but I did have incredible access to President Obama and everything that he did. And, um, yeah, and, and, and and you know, but for me, Okamoto will, will always be the
0: the guy that really... That's that uh, sort of kicked off this idea. I think he for more than you. kicked it off. No, I think but I mean he, for yeah, you as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and how did that job with Reagan come about?
1: Yeah, that was another like sort of lucky situation. Um, someone that I had known professionally in my uh, days in Kansas, uh, she she had been the director of photography at the Kansas City Star, became the White House photo editor. And Michael Levins, who was Reagan's chief photographer, was looking for someone to work with him, uh, and and Carol uh, Greenewald was her name. She suggested me so, to to Michael, and so it was just yes, one you. Were, of those you were very things. young at the time. I was man. in my
0: twenties. Yeah, yeah, that's quite a quite an opportunity. Yeah. And, and the world changed so much during his presidency yeah. as well. Yeah, must have been kind of remarkable. Um, if you can, I'd love to end this uh, on a really upbeat positive note, and I you have it all laid out in your book where you write what comes next. Do you mind reading sure. reading that a little bit or reading the whole thing? It's not very long.
1: you know originally this was the the end of my introduction Oh really and then I decided that we should put this at the back of the book so you've you've gone through all the pictures in the book and my captions, and here's how I end it. What comes next? Throwing shade is one thing, but it's time for us to take the next step. It's not enough to voice disbelief at what's taking place. Let's use our energy to do something about it. Vote, for one. Help others get to the polls. March in the streets for issues that are important to you. Write or call your congressperson about how you feel. It all matters. It may take a while. But let's bring respect back to the Oval Office. Let's bring respect back to our country. As Abraham Lincoln said at Gettysburg, our task is that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth.
0: Pete, thanks so much for the important work that you do, and thanks so much for being here as well. Thanks for having me on. I hope you like what you heard and that you'll please share your review on Apple Podcasts. And also give me your feedback at Books and Books on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to my weekly conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Revolver.com. I'm Mitchell Kaplan. Thanks for joining The Literary Life.